Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And podcasts on the WWW is all over the place. Um, but specifically at www.3cr.org.au and indeed at our own website at www.adogs.info. But if I'm going too fast for you, um, don't worry, I'll provide that information towards the end of the show as well because we have a lot to get through in terms of education policy in Australia. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, both here and overseas. Uh, the Gonski Review's come out, the state budget's come out, the federal government's jumping up and down about education. Education is the big thing, so it should be. Um, and we have to actually unpick all of this. Gonski 2.0 or whatever it's supposed to be has turned up, and we need to actually understand, I think, what that's all about. What it's not about. <laughs> and indeed what it's not about as well. Thank you very much, Jean. Yes, it's got Robert and Jean here on the radio. Um, we'll be talking about the state budget as well and the implications for state schools and indeed the private school sector who seem to be jumping up and down and being rather annoyed about what the state budget's doing. Um, and, of course, we have to go overseas because we don't lift, live in a bubble here in Australia. And as you know, here at the Dogs Program, we are defenders of government schools. And, you know, if we're going to defend them, we have to understand who's attacking government schools. One of those groups, of course, are various religious organisations, both here and overseas, who think that a state-based national education system is anathema um, to, various, to, to their religious views. Um, and I'm going to pass quickly over to Jean because she's been doing some interesting research on what's going on overseas when it comes to the fundamental question of the separation of religion from the um, workings of the state. Jean. Yes, and I have to thank um, some of our members here and also the people from ANSA uh, in New South Wales for Who's giving ANSA, us uh, the Australian New Zealand uh, Secular Society, okay, Society uh, or Association. Yes. Uh, this is press release 747, which is on our website or will be in the next few days at www.adogs.info. If you listen to our program, you always get a preview of what's going to go on the website. So that's a good reason for listening to the program, isn't it? (laughs) Separation of religion and the state still matters in America, but vouchers have not gone away. The good news is that a Michigan judge has struck down as as unconstitutional two state laws that reimburse private schools for the cost of fire drills, inspections and other state requirements. Continually, private sector and religious schools in America and in Australia try to get their fingers on taxpayers' money 
in all kinds of ways. And this, in this instance, it's for fire drills, inspections and other state requirements. The Courts of Claims Judge Cynthia Diane Stevens said that the 2016 and 2017 budget laws violated the state constitution's ban regarding direct or indirect aid to non-public schools. It was a victory for the public school groups that had challenged the five million in appropriations spread over two years. Well, they were stopping it before it started and of course this is how it started this kind of thing in Australia and it's now billions and billions so America can learn from Australia the constitution the judge said is quite clear that public money should only be used for public schools and Dan Korobkin the deputy legal director for the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan was involved in this litigation Today's ruling, he said, sends a message to lawmakers that public dollars cannot fund private interests. Oh, we wish, we wish, don't we? Stevens rejected the state's argument that the money was not for educational purposes, but rather health, safety and welfare purposes. The judge said that providing money to offset compliance costs supports the employment of non-public school employees and cedes a significant degree of control to private schools, unlike other allowable expenses such as shared time aid for public schools that enrol private students in non-core elective classes. So the... Um, the suit was filed in March 2017, so it's taken more than a year to get to the court by the Michigan Association of School Boards and groups representing school districts, administrators and parents. They all pulled together. And of course, as we all know, when you go to law, it's pretty expensive and soul-destroying sometimes. They said in their their our news release, they didn't think from their perspective that we could have asked for a better ruling. And a state budget office spokesman declined to comment, saying that lawmakers had requested the spending, not the Governor Rick Snyder. So that's very interesting too. Uh, the people in power were divided on this. The Governor proposed eliminating the 2.5 million allotment in 2018 and 2019 budgets, but that was the House lawmakers who included the controversial funding for the third year running in an early draft of the 2019 budget that was approved in the last month. So when the school and the parent groups filed the lawsuit last year in the state court to block the yearly 2.5 million that the lawmakers had put in the state budget in 2017 to fund the mandates on the non-public schools, they argued that the state's constitution's so-called Blaine Amendment, passed by voters in 1970 as Proposal C, prevented the public dollars from going to non-public schools. Now, Michigan, as you may know, is one of the... uh, States that used to be Democrat but turned red in the last Trump election. So this is a very interesting uh, development. 
that other people, for example, the DeVos lot, uh, were not pleased. And some advocates claimed that the appropriation was legally sound because the budget specifies the private school funding was for purposes that were non-instructional in character. And, of course, it was the Catholic schools that were the really, uh, really upset. David Maluchnik, a spokesman for the Michigan Catholic Conference that is the official voice of the Catholic Church in Michigan on public policy matters, said, and we've heard this many times, haven't we, but we believe that every student in this state, regardless of what school they attend, deserves to be educated in a healthy and safe environment. Well, the dog's position, yes, we agree with that, but there is nothing to prevent public schools being open to all children, whereas religious schools select children. That is the big difference. Um, Some school advocates doubt that an appeal to Stephen's decision will succeed, uh, but another legal expert said that the Immaculate Heart of Mary and others who filed the lawsuit could face challenges in proving that aid should go to the non-public schools. So uh, it's not a finished matter, but it is a very interesting one that in some places still in America people say there should be separation of religion from the state. Uh, However, that was the good news. The bad news is that uh, there's been problems at the Congress level. Some members of Congress are still trying to include a private school voucher bill. And how are they doing it? Usually in America, as in Australia in the 1950s and 60s, they use uh, other people to do it. And in this case, they are talking about the National Defence Authorisation Act. They're talking about the military. Members of Congress uh, are reacting to lobbyists from the Heritage Foundation and they're supported by Betsy DeVos there, in the National Defence Authorisation Act, as I've just mentioned. But the Americans United for Separation of Church and State are saying, no, we can't let this harmful bill be tucked inside the National Defence Authorisation Act. Military families deserve fully funded public schools, not harmful voucher schemes. So they're trying to say that military families should have vouchers to send their children or take those vouchers to private schools. Now, in effect, this is what we actually have in Australia because parents in private schools in Australia have virtually, through the resource standard, a voucher. And in many cases, it is more than, it is worth more than what goes to the local public school. But in America, almost 30 military groups, including the National Military Family Association, the Military Office Association of America, and associations representing all branches of the armed services, are opposing the plan. And it's no surprise, because the bill would not only harm the public schools, which the children of most military families attend in America, but it would also hurt the students who remain in those schools, who would then be left with fewer resources. 
So this is one of Betsy DeVos's uh, Camels in the Tent uh, exercises, and it's not necessarily being promoted by the military uh, families in America at all. So uh, Americans United for Separation of Church and State are very active in America in promoting public education and the separation of religion from the state. So that is our press release for this week, press release 747, and we'll also be getting out something on Gonski. But that's enough from me for the moment. Uh, We'll have a, a bit of a break some music, and then Robert will take over because he's not recently actually got, quite recently, a year, uh, got a PhD about how children learn, and that's what Gonski's been talking about. So if anyone at the moment around 3CR is the expert on Gonski, it will be Robert.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. That was Angela McCluskey in Triptych with My Funny Valentine. Music here on the Dogs Program to calm us down before we get into the ridiculous fray that is the new Gonski report and indeed the new state budget brought down by the Andrews government. Um, I think we might do the Andrews budget, Andrews budget before we get stuck into Gonski because I think we need a run up for that. I think we need some more music to calm us down. Mm-hmm. Because it's a very interesting document, um, and what it means and what it doesn't mean is, is yet to sort of come out in the wash. But before we go to the Gonski 2.0, I want to talk about what the Andrews government's done with its state government. Um, someone in the Labor Party in Victoria is listening to the DOGS program. They're not convinced by what we're talking about, but um, they can hear that politically there are a very large number of people that are deeply disaffected with the political culture that means that the state schools of Victoria constantly get the short straw. And so they've started to do something. And the only reason I know they've started to do something, going through the numbers, is that the Catholic Education Office and Stephen Elder are really, really grumpy. (laughs) Catholic Education Officer Stephen Elder and indeed um, the Liberal Opposition 
are jumping up and down because the Andrews Labor government isn't giving as much money to the Catholic education sector as the Catholic education sector expected. Bear in mind the Catholic education sector lobbied politically on behalf of the Labor Party to ensure that their Labor Party member got in in the electorate of Northcote about a month ago. And so they were waiting for their payback. But some of the Labor Party in Victoria has been listening to the DOGS program because they haven't got the payback they thought about. It's all rather interesting, actually. Oh, well, the parents are, are actually moving with their feet. They're voting with their feet against the Catholic system and going to the public schools. The um, numbers are just there. Yeah, well, no, the numbers are starting to be there, Jane, and I think if there is an economic downturn, that those small numbers will become a cascade as parents realise that um, they're not actually getting anything for their money if they're, if they're paying to send their child to a state school. And one of the things they're really not getting, certainly with the middle-ranked independent and Catholic schools, is a network. Um, the Catholic networks um, have been diminished somewhat politically due to various scandals, in, in both in the public eye and, and in reality. But what's happened is the Labor Party, as part of the state government, has cut back on the capital investment um, for Catholic schools. Well, it's been upped by the federal government, so one would hope so. Well, yes, indeed. But they still want their pound of flesh. And, you know, Jean's been talking about what goes on in America. They're never satisfied. Jean's been talking about what's going on in America and the idea of any public money going to any private organisation that's supposed to be for public purpose not being possible under law. Here in Australia, millions and billions of dollars get paid out to private organisations, the Catholic Church in particular, to build capital, um, to, to, to expand the capital that's involved in the schools, to build buildings, to, to do capital works. But the Catholic education sector has hit out at the Andrews government just recently, saying it, what, the, what the state government did is what they call denying parents school choice. Now, this is the rhetoric they're left with these days. I'm quoting now from an article by a journalist called Henrietta Cook, who works for the Fairfax Media. Now, Henrietta Cook has actually wrote some, written some very interesting articles lately, and I suggest you befriend her on Facebook. Um, she's an interesting journalist, and she says that the public school sector embraced the government's $1.2 billion investment in state school buildings and upgrades, but however, the Catholic Education Commission in Victoria, Executive Director Stephen Elder, said the lack of capital funding for his schools is, he quotes, disappointing. Now, listen to the rhetoric, because this, I think, is, fu- this, this is interesting, because it's what they've come down to. His rhetoric to say, you must give us the money, is that he says, it's fine for the state government to talk about booming state school enrolments, but they are denying parents' choice for not providing adequate support to allow Catholic schools to meet demand. So Stephen Elder is demanding that the state government provide money to the Catholic school system, a private school system, because they are private, they are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of the country. Um, they, they can do anything they like in terms of enrolment or hiring policies because they are a religious organisation. And he's saying they're denying parent choice because the Catholic school demands what they call adequate support. He says, and this is Stephen Elder again, it's disappointing to see the lack of commitment to capital works funding for the Catholic school sector across budget forward estimates, particularly given the support of recent years. Well, they're going to get 80% of all their costs from the, uh, the federal government. What In any case. Oh, and 25% from... Oh, no, he's, just, oh, he's, he's not talking about recurrent funding. He's just talking about the icing. He wants his icing. He wants his cherry. He wants his extra capital works funding on top. 
Now, Mr Elder said he hoped the state government fixed the shortfall ahead of the November state election, he said in a warning tone. All those robocalls at our expense, perhaps. Well, the Labor Party announced ahead of the 2014 election all those years ago that it would spend $120 million on capital works at non-government schools over four years. So Elder had his money. The state, In fact, it was one of the first things that um, Andrews did when he got into government, make sure the private schools got their money. But this money has already been spent since 2014, with the remaining amount to be spent just in the next year. But there's no more money from the state government. The Catholic sector has been looking to this budget in the hope of funding that will be extended, so they want another $140 million. Where's their cherry? Mm-hmm. Now, the opposition education spokesman, spokesperson, I should say, Tim Smith, was the state government has, set, has declared, he says, a class and values war on Victorian parents who send their children to Catholic and independent schools. I would have thought the class and values yeah. war had been... Won and lost. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's been, um, it's been there, but it's the other side. I mean, this is projection, isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? No, but these are the arguments. Choice, class, warfare and values. These are what they're left with as the arguments to support private education funding by the taxpayers. Anyway, um, Tim Smith, the education spokesman for the opposition, the Liberal Party, says, in a short-sighted and ideologically motivated decision, today's budget saw the Andrews government announce that they will no longer fund capital upgrades for Catholic and independent schools. He said the government was a slave to the Australian Education Union, the public education lobby, with its spending. Oh, I wish... Oh, I wish the Andrews Labor government were a slave to us, the public education lobby. That would be a delight. Well, of course we know that's not true. So that's actually factually untrue, Mr Smith. Anyway, Mr Smith goes on to say, by shutting out the non-government schools, the Andrews government has added to the burden of the state school system. That's a new one, isn't it? By, By funding the state schools and not funding the private schools, he says you're adding to the burden of the state school system. Saving us money, actually. Oh, just... Anyway, I, I, just, I thought that was a fascinating little, little, little take into the rhetoric because here at the Dog Program we always examine, we go into the heart of, of the enemies of public education and examine their rhetoric. So you've got to give money to the non-government schools because it will reduce the burden on the state school system. So you've got to take money away from the state schools, give it to the private schools because you've reduced the burden. I don't understand that, Mr. Mr. Smith. Um, the other one is values. It's all about values. The other one is choice, of course, that, that, old, that old hoary chestnut. And, of course, they still have the idea of the class war. None of these arguments are sticking. Last week I told you about Kevin Donnelly, talking about education and how we get to get back to the three R's and student choice is, is, is not what's required and we need to probably bring back corporal punishment. I'm putting words into his mouth, but he's basically saying we have to go back to the three R's, otherwise we're all stuffed because all the, that's what all the Asian students are doing and we've got to be more like all the Asian students in Shanghai. So we have to take our educational pedagogical lead from communist China, according to Kevin Donnelly. So, so this is this is the rhetorical nonsense that that they are now reduced to because functionally it's just gone too far. And it's interesting to note that the state Labor government has recognised it. I think the state Labor government has recognised that to support state schools in Victoria is a vote winner. Mm. The majority of parents send their children to state schools, so the majority of parents are the majority of voters, and so therefore they're they're now I think starting just just gently to come round to the dog's point of view, by no means 
um, are they completely over on, on a reasonable perspective on the way you fund? Because, of course, they still fund. Um, they still fund um, private schools, which I think is a ridiculous thing for them to do, waste everyone's money, but they're getting closer to the dog's position. Fascinating stuff. Now, I promised earlier in the program we'd be talking about Gonski, and I think it's about time we get stuck into that before we run out of time because it's a complex idea. And I think before we do that, I think we should have some nice calming music and perhaps a few other things. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. 
Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. I had to listen to a bit of Grieg. I mean, I mean, it's probably not to my taste, but I'm sure many of our listeners agree. I like the earlier music, as you probably know. But that was Grieg's Piano Concerto in A Minor. Right. Gonski, I promised. And everyone's been waiting for bated breath to find out what the dog's perspective is on this whole Gonski report. Um, the Gonski report is actually a very interesting discussion about the way you place the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um... And I think functionally and fundamentally, there's a lot of really good things. Because if you place the deck chairs in a certain pattern, you do actually get effective, <laughs> effective teaching and learning in the process. However, the ship's going, still going down. Um, the way things are funded is what is the fundamental problem. Gonski's not talking about that. He skipped that entirely. Well, it wasn't um, part of the terms of reference, was indeed, it? Indeed, indeed. And, and that's what I was going to say. To be fair to Gonski and, and the entire panel... Um, it, that wasn't their brief. They weren't actually asked to talk about funding. They were asked to talk about the process of teaching and learning. Now, and the panel is an interesting panel. David Gonski, who was obviously involved in the first one, he's got his name on. He's got his name on the front page. Um, he's not an educator. He's a lawyer and an economist. Um, but he had some interesting people to work with. He had Terry Arcus. He had Dr. Ken Boston. Yes, interesting fellow. A curriculum man. A curriculum man. Dr. Valerie Gould. Was Ms. Valerie Gould. Ms. Wendy Johnson, Dr. Lisa O'Brien, Dr. Lee and Perry, and Mr. Michael Roberts. So a nice gender balance there, and there are some people that know what they're talking about, and they've turned up some interesting stuff. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, nothing's ever that simple, I'm afraid to say. And whether we support it or not is, in fact, a question. Um, I personally think there's a great deal to be, ta- to be spoken about what's going on with what Gonski is suggesting. Because what Gonski is suggesting is already happening in many schools very successfully. Now, I know a lot of uh, older listeners will say that things like, you know, giving kids too much choice is a waste of time. You need to get, you know, reading and writing and you've got numeracy into kids, otherwise they can't function in the world effectively. And do you know what? I think there's a great deal to say about that. But Gonski is actually talking in large part about secondary education. A lot of what he's talking about is the process of how you get a young teenager who is either engaged or disengaged across a whole range of things that they need to know, learning in the most effective way possible. And that is the question they've addressed. They're talking about young people, not not very young people. And indeed, there's a school I'll be talking about, which is a great state school, which is Templestow College out there in the northeast of Melbourne, which is actually basically already implemented the full Gonski 2.0 and gone a bit further than that as well. So we can actually see what's happened, happening with the whole Gonski process on the ground at the moment, which we'll be dealing with in our great state schools thing at the end of the program. But before we get to that, let's just, let's just hear what Chris Bonner has to say about Gonski's, what he called Gonski's second coming, which is to say, yes, he comes and then he comes again. Gonski has arrived and he says, when they update the history of Australian school education into the future... The name Gonski and the names of those he has worked with deserve to be up there in lights. 
Skonski has done it again. It's another exhaustive investigation into what we need to do to improve school education in Australia. But the questions are, and the big ones, will it all come to pass? And what can we expect? Well, like most things, um, when you get a report, and I've read, it, read most of it myself, it's quite large, 220 pages, um, it's in the pricey. He says, in a world where education defines opportunity, this is true, schooling must support everyone in Australia's 3.8 million school students to realise their full learning potential and achieve educational excellence. Australian students should receive a world-class education tailored to individual learning needs, and schooling should enrich students' lives, leaving them inspired to pursue new ideas and set ambitions throughout the rest of their lives. Well, if there wasn't a sentence like that at the beginning of the report, I'd be disappointed. But what, what, what does that mean? It's a statement of the old Enlightenment ideas. Hmm, it is. It, it's going back to around about 1900. Well, it's, all, it's almost pre-industrial. The progressives. Yeah. Yeah, it, in the fact, progressives. It, it, it would go back even further than that, because mm. as I say, I've done some research, and it goes back well further than that. It goes back to the, to the old Hungarian. In fact, it goes back to Plato. Mm. Plato, when he was talking about the educare, the drawing out of knowledge in children, Plato, remember him? Oh, I don't. I wasn't alive, but uh, I've read some of his stuff. <laughs> he said that if you want to educate a child, first, rec- first discover what is the genius of each. First discover what is the genius of each child and then begin upon drawing out the knowledge that lies within and informing them and creating a well-rounded human being. Is it running? Is it jumping? Is it thinking? Is it counting? Is it writing? Is it this? Find those things out and work to those strengths. That's what Plato was on about well over 2,000 years ago. Now, this whole report is indeed, the Gonski report, back to current day, is about everyone. Now, that's the key. Everyone of our students and their, everyone's individual learning needs. Words like enrich and inspired come like a breath of fresh air in the education system, straightjacketed currently at the moment by testing and then testing the testing and then testing the testing of the testers and testings. Okay. Now, NAPLAN has created a marketplace where a child's grade is the commodity and this grade is often degraded <laughs> in the process. Um, and it's interesting, there was a report that came out, just as an aside, um, a report of Australian principals and what they view of NAPLAN. And the idea is that principals, functionally in schools in Australia today, don't pay any attention to NAPLAN at all. The NAPLAN score has no bearing on what goes on with the teacher and the child in the school. It's just this thing they have to do to sort of get some grade, which means they get some money. But it has no real function within the education process. Now, this Gonski panel and the supporting team, using endless consultations and nearly 300 submissions, have finally brought home a big message. We actually need to do school differently. Now, the report itself does not pull any punches. And the reason is that there is declines in measurable student achievement in Australia. We're going backwards. Gonski says they're equivalent to generation of Australian school children falling short of their full learning potential. I would go further. I would say there is a generation in Australia today that is less well-educated than the generation before. All through the 20th century, every generation was more educated than the generation before. We hit the 21st century, and the way we fund schooling means that we have a generation which is less well-educated than the generation before. Now, this is for many reasons. I suggest funding is one of them, but also our model of education is dated. 
Our model of education does not reach all students, nor does it stretch or extend each student, in the words of the report, to ensure that they achieve a maximum learning growth every year, nor does it incentivise schools to innovate and continuously improve. Well, I'm going to take an objection there to what Chris Bonnet says. I don't like the word incentivise, but it does not give a school a reason to innovate their curriculum year on year and respond to the needs of the student and indeed the school community. Yes, says Chris Bonner. Schools are deficient, but Gonski also notes that schools' attempts to address the issue are hampered by curriculum delivery, by curriculum assessment, by work practices and the structural environment in which teachers operate. The constraint on schools also includes reporting and assessment regimes and tools focused on periodic judgments of performance rather than continuous diagnosis of a student's learning need and progress. Now, you ask any primary school teacher, and I know there's primary school teachers out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. You don't need to give a test to a child that you spend six hours a day, five days a week with, and have done so for, for all of this year so far. You don't need a test or an assessment to know where that child's education learning needs are at and where their achievements are at. So accordingly, which is just quite quite extraordinary, the report recommends far more individualised learning and a shift to the measurement of student growth, something that will be supported by the creation of all these assessment tools to map the growth, but plan the next learning steps and actually track different students' progress. Now, this is something teachers do anyway, (laughs) So functionally on the ground, there'll be many things that do not need to change. You just free up teachers to do what it is that they do best. Each student should emerge from schooling, the report says, as a creative, connected and engaged learner with a growth mindset that can help improve their educational achievement over time. Because as we know these days, the job you walk out into is not the job you end up in. Now that is the truth of the 21st century. Learning over time is a continuous thing. Getting a degree, doesn't matter what it is, a PhD, anything up to a PhD, is by no means the end of anyone's educational life. It can't be anymore. And so this love of learning, engaging the learner in a growth mindset, is in fact one of the things that the education system should be in terms of leaving a legacy with each child. The the greater the number of students who realise their full learning potential, the greater the cumulative lift will be in the overall national, national performance. Now bear in mind we're talking about all of the children, the children of Epping, as well as the children of Turak, the children of Outback Victoria, as well as the children of Bentley. Now, Chris says he has some personal observations. In submitting to the review, because he did himself, he stressed the critical need for student engagement to be front and centre in any effort to improve learning in schools. Without the engagement, not much else will actually happen. And reaching out to engage all students is also a serious equity challenge, and this is where Chris gets back to the real problem. Equal to the ongoing needs and resources, equity highlighted by the first Gonski Reverse six years ago. On that score, the review's findings and recommendations deserve a big tick. Now, I could go on about this, but the fundamental issue is they're talking about individual learning pathways for individual students, and as Jean quite rightly says, this goes, this is an old idea. This is an old idea. In fact, it's pre-industrial schooling, isn't it, Jean? Back in the days when the only people that were educated were the children of the nobility, this is exactly the way you would go about the process. And I can tell you, in the middle of the 19th century, as a student of educational pedagogy, I can tell you, in the middle of the 19th century, they industrialised education for a number of reasons. One was to get a largest number of people educated as possible. But through that process, they developed this idea that a strenuous, rigorous and unpleasant education system 
would not just let children learn, but it would develop the strength of character that was required to survive in the world. Now, I'm going to hammer this point because I think it's interesting. In the 19th century, educationalists thought that the more unpleasant school was, the better school was, because each child would then develop characters to survive in the wider world. This, 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 well, no, it it, it was an idea of developing characters, firstly in the nobility, so that they went, so, so, so when they became the functionaries of empire, they were tough. Hard and tough and wise, just the sort that won't say no. They, they were the soldiers of empire that were, that were being educated in this way. Proconsuls, bullies, yeah. This is what, and certainly in England, the education system and, and education experts were talking about. If you make it unpleasant, if you make beatings the process by which, the, 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 the avoidance of punishment the process by which that you achieve, if you do this, then you will have excellent students who have great character. If you listen to the words of Kevin Donnelly, he put out last week, he's saying exactly the same thing. It's talking about the unpleasantness of education builds character. Gonski's gone completely the other way. He's gone to a time before. He's gone to a time before. He's gone back to Plato, Gonski has. And he's gone back to the idea of we can't afford to leave children behind in the 21st century, and that's exactly what we're doing. But the one bullet he doesn't bite, one point he can't bite because he was told not to, is that when he says every child, that has to have meaning. Now, many, many independent school principals have come out and said, we're doing this anyway. You, the principal of Ivanhoe Grammar says, we're doing this anyway. Individual learning needs are what our parents are paying for, and that's what we're giving them. And as I'll be talking after the break, we're talking about Temple State College. They're doing the same thing there in the state school system. So people have been doing this in spite of the fact that the Donnellys of the world have been telling them not to. And they're having a great deal of success. Anyway, I'll be talking about that just in a little while. Um, obviously, we were talking about Gonski over the weeks to come. There's more to it than that. But it's a shift, and it's an interesting shift um, in the way Australian education takes, takes place. But it does not address... It has not addressed and will continue to not address the one big elephant in the room, the sinking ship itself, the fact that the children of Australia are being divided, not on the colour of their skin, but they're being divided upon the religion of their parents. They're being divided upon the income of their parents because in Australia, and I'm going to say this one more time because it disgusts me and I, I need to get it out. In Australia, the income of your parents is the sole greatest correlative idea the income of your parents determines your educational success in Australia and that in itself is disgusting and that is something that Gonski talks about but he does not address if your parents are poor you have a rubbish education if your parents are rich they have a good one unless certain state schools, many state schools fight against this truth day in, day in, week out day in and day out, week in and week out the state school system fights against this truth to fight back against it, to make sure it's not true for the next generation. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and www.3cr.org.au or www.adogs.info. We're all over the place here on the Dogs Program. You're listening to us, so welcome. We always like to finish on it up here because I want to talk about a great state school that relates to the Gonski whole thing that's happening, Gonski 2.0. And we've spoken about it before, but I want to speak about it again because Temple State College is Gonski on steroids. Temple State College is a fascinating school. It's, it was run and set up by a bloke called Peter Hutton initially. And Peter Hutton does all sorts of really fascinating things. If you go to Temple State College, there are no compulsory subjects. Once students develop literacy and numeracy skills that enable them to function effectively in society. That's the hurdle requirement. You've got to be able to read and write. Once you get past that, there are no compulsory subjects at all. Students choose what they want to study from more than 150 electives and can even develop their own courses for themselves. Students run 50 of their own businesses and the school employs 10% of the student population to help run the school. Just like the real world, there are no bells, no compulsory uniforms, there's no detentions, and people call each other by their first names. Students can start school at 20 past 7, 9 o'clock, or 10.30. They can graduate in four years or eight years, depending upon their own chosen pathway. So... That's what's happening out at Temple State College. That is Gonski. That's what he's talking about. Individual pathways, choices. 10% of the students actually help run the schools. And they're employed by the school to do so. Private schools continually talk about parental choice. Finally, somebody's talking about students' choice. I'll tell you right now, there are, in this school... Around about a 1,000 kids. And I'll tell you, the waiting list for this school is massive. You want to buy a house in the Temple Stowe College catchment, you'll be paying an extra $300,000 on top for one side of the street as opposed to the other side of the street. This is something that the people of Temple Stowe want. They like it. It works. Now, Temple Stowe is not a poor place. Okay, it never was. I don't know if it ever was. Jean, you can tell me that. I don't, don't, no, don't, I don't, I don't think no, it I ever was. So, no. The school's X-year value is 1088 and of course the median is 1,000, so there's some fairly rich kids there. Look, 39% come from the top quartile, 32% come from the upper middle quartile, which means you have around about 70% of the kids coming from the richest half of Australia in a state school. 8% of the kids are really poor, and 21% of the kids are in the second lowest quartile. So about 30% of the kids are in the, in, in the lower half. So, yeah, up there in Templestowe, they don't send their kids to private schools. Oh, no, they don't. They send them to Templestowe College. Absolutely fascinating. So, how are they doing on the dreaded NAPLAN? Well, the answer is, compared to all schools in Australia, they are absolutely caning it. (laughs) There's no worries at all, which is actually what you'd expect, because, remember, I'll say it again, the truth of the matter is, if you're poor, then you do badly in education. If you come from a rich family, you do well. I have to keep saying it because it disgusts me. That ha- that in itself is the problem. <laughs> Gonski can talk about prices as much as he like. That's the problem that Gonski fails to address because he wasn't allowed to. Oh, the other matter, of course, Robert, as you know, is motivation. These children are motivated. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of Year 7 kids, in terms of their writing scores, they are below the writing scores of similar schools. 
So if you go there, and in, in spelling as well, in year seven. But by the time they get to year nine, they're fine. So they arrive at the school in year seven with below par for their cohort writing and spelling test, but because they live in this amazing autonomous world, they have all this choice, and and um, and uh, Kevin Donnelly would be apoplectic of what goes on in this school, no doubt. Um, despite all of that, they actually improve over the two years from year seven to year nine. Um, but compared to all Australian students, um, they're just fine. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. There's, they're not below average or anything, or anything to do with that. Their reading, their grammar, and their numeracy are all well above average compared to the rest of Australia, and they're certainly on par with all the kids that go to MLC and PLC and Yarra Valley Grammar and Ivanhoe and all those rich schools. Right, attendance levels, 90%. Yes, 90%. Everyone turns up. Well, you can turn up at 7.15 or you can turn up at 10.30. You make the choice. And if you get paid to turn up to school, I think that's probably a, probably a decent thing too if you're one of the 10% of kids. Absolutely fascinating school. Okay, all of this innovation, all of this pedagogical crazy stuff, how much does it cost? Oh, How much does it cost? Well, total cost per student, per student... Remember, for a secondary school student, it's about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. Now, for richer kids, to educate them, it costs a bit less because there's more parental support. Because, as, as, as we know in Australia, if you're rich, you get a better education. Disgusting as that is, um, per student, it costs me, the taxpayer, about a bit over twelve thousand dollars per student, with one hundred and fifty separate courses being offered in the school, and paying the kids. <laughs> Or 10% of the kids took to run the schools themselves. Um, the other thing is that the school itself has done a kidnapness and, and they, they did a survey of the parents and the kids and saying, are you happy here? Should we do anything different? Okay, they did it of the kids. Of the kids. Do you like school? Well, 98% of them said yes. I asked the parents and the guardians, do you like the results you're getting from the school? 98% said, yes. Yeah, it's good. So the results are good, kids are happy, parents are happy, they're doing all this crazy innovative stuff and they're continuing to do it out there at Temple Stowe College. And you know what? There's other schools that are taking this model. I happen to know Bandura High out there is using the Temple Stowe model and many other schools in the northeast because it works. We're talking about engaging the disengaged. Gonski's got something here. Because a lot of students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, the poor kids, they know school is set up to stuff them around. And so if you can solve, if you can solve that problem, because the kids aren't stupid, if you can solve that problem like Temple State Colleges does, all of a sudden you break the nexus. The fundamental issue, which is poor kids get a worse education in this country, which in itself is the, is the problem. That's the problem. Gonski doesn't solve it, but it's a pathway, perhaps, as long as, and I'm going to say this one more time, it's properly funded, which, of course, will be the devil in the detail, which we'll have to talk about in weeks to come. But until that time, we've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs. If you'd like to find out more about what we've been talking about or, indeed, go over Gene's press release word for word, you can at our website at www.adogs.info. 
Also, if you do know a great state school that we can research and highlight here on the program, please do let us know. And I'm, I'm, I have had some calls, actually. It's going to be wonderful to get more, some more detail on various schools to our regular listeners who I know are in, already in contact with me. But if you do, please call the radio station here at 3CR at 9419 8377. That's 9419 8377. And if you call there, you can say, I want to talk to talk to Rob, and I probably won't be here at the time, but say, just leave me a message and leave the name of the school, and I will do all the research for you, and it'll be on the radio in the weeks to come. But until then, from Gene, myself, and our producer, Dale, it's bye for now.